you know, I've registered uh, with the Federal Trade Commission to not receive this type of communication. Please, please decline future missives and ensure that I'm added to your comprehensive list. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. This, I recognize the, your avatar in Skype. No. And I remember him as a, he sang, he was a singer of some kind. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, thinking, was this, a, is there a Partridge family connection, I feel like? Mm, not primarily. Okay. I, feels like that time period. You would know him as a singer. You would know him as an actor. Can you locate what era you know him from? Definitely the seventies. I mean, that's a yep. That's a given. Um, Let me just say. No, is he a little person? Is he small? Well, he's he's slight of size. Yes. Did he sing? Mm-hmm. Did he sing something with rainbows? He sang the rainbow. He wrote the rainbow connection. Okay. Okay. See, I'm I'm on to something. Mm-hmm. He wrote. Rainy Days and Mondays. Okay. <laughs> he wrote he wrote mini hits for the Carpenters. He wrote The Carpenters. That's what it was. Did at I at least one hit. Oh, there you go. You know, it's losing, just losing my mind slowly. Piece by piece. No, you need to run Norton. I think your index might be a little jumbled. I get it. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the forties. Um he is well known. He was well known primarily as a songwriter and then a minor success as a singer songwriter. Okay. And then once the songs of the Carpenters caught on hits by three dog night and others, he had a very interesting career. You may know him for his many appearances on things like Johnny Carson and match game. Was he on the love boat ever? Yes. Okay. This is him in a 1974 movie by, I want to say, Brian De Palma called Phantom of the Paradise. What, you're sending me a, an image? Oh, this picture of, of the Avatar. Now that is of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want any more, want any more hints? I'm not going to get initials, his name his are His initials are PW. Paul Weiland. You're half right. <laughs> Paul something. Mm-hmm. What is it? I don't know. Paul, I Willi- Paul Williams. Williams. Uh-huh. Look at him. Look at him go. Is he still yeah. around? Oh, God, yes. Um, oh, cool. Very interesting guy. There is a really good documentary about him called Still Alive. Um, <laughs> of course there is. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those <laughs> modern, like, post-Sherman's March documentaries that ends up being way more about the filmmaker than you might like. But yeah. Um, it is uh, a film about, I think it's called Still Alive, Paul Williams, still, not to be confused with the, uh, Jonathan Colton song, right? Of course. Paul Williams, Still Alive and, uh, 97% Tomatoes. And, uh, and it's basically about this guy who loved the music of Paul Williams as a kid, like many of us. And then was shocked to find out that he was still alive. And then, uh, it follows him around with the camera and his, he annoys Paul Williams and his family very much. But he's a very he's a very interesting guy, very thoughtful guy. Um, seems like a real good sport about a lot of stuff, and he came to have a big problem with uh, drugs and alcohol, and then got sober. And now he like he sponsors people, and he I don't know. He's just a really interesting guy. It's, I think it's probably on Netflix. Look for Paul Williams still alive. I'll put it in show notes. Did he eventually wind up coming coming full circle and supporting the documentary or? 
Well, I think, yeah, for it to be released, I think he kind of had to have supported it. But, you know, it's it, it's it is very interesting, though, because the, the the director does insert himself into the story a lot and becomes kind of maybe too much of a character. They but call it gonzo journalism. Is that what that's called? Where mm-hmm. you insert yourself into it? Yeah. 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 You'll see these bats soon enough. I've been, um, I've been on Hunter S. Thompson thing. I do that. I do that about once a year. I do a deep dive. <laughs> I do too. Boy, that guy was really messed up. Peacocks. 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 Hmm. Um, yeah, he's a very interesting guy. He was very invested in his character. <laughs> so it's a big week. It's a huge week. We have, we have, we have many, many things to talk about. Well, this is, I know it's big for you because this is the week before the week before the week we might get new macbooks pro oh yeah right so i know that's going to be our topic for the next oh it's exciting it's exciting that's yeah. good it's a uh, it's a good thing but that's that's not on the on the current agenda with the top of the agenda this week as i understand is we want to talk about uh dan's concerns about a fire alarm mm-hmm. what what is going on dan what's happening okay well this is one of those situations also i think it's i think another topic we can get to this week next week maybe i'll I'll have more material for it next week is uh the um i think it's a subterranean the eastern subterranean termite Hmm, okay so i'll i think but i think i'll have more next week okay good 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 but as far as me time to gives me time to bone up my wife decided that she wanted to test the fire alarms in the house, which is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she noticed in doing it that there were a couple of fire alarms because I guess they were installed with along with the house. And I don't think they've been replaced since the house was built, which is much longer than a fire alarm is supposed to last for. Is fire. it more than 10 years? Yeah. Apparently, yeah. a good fire alarm will last 10 years. And That's, I've been told that repeatedly after ours failed. Apparently a not so good one or it lasts five years. Anyway, these yeah. were due to be replaced. And I knew that uh, this was the kind of thing that whatever, for people who haven't done fire alarms before. Is it, are you talking about a smoke alarm, right? I should call it a smoke alarm, shouldn't I? Smoke detector. Probably like a smoke alarm and like like um, carbon monoxide Right, detector. that's a whole other kind. And now some of them are combined. But Ours talks. See, uh, well, yes, I have comments about questions about that too. <laughs> so these things go uh, on the wall for those of us who did, never paid attention to that. They were renters. People in, other countries that, people in other countries don't have walls. Right. Uh, these are kind of structural things that divide a, stru- uh, you know, like a house into various, various rooms. Segments, and sometimes compartments. They, segments, compartmentalization. They have a role in holding up uh, the, the ceiling, which then leads to the roof mm-hmm. if you don't have those. Well, a fire alarm sticks to the wall, in some cases the ceiling, and it, it is a smoke detector. Its job is to detect smoke. And, and then, let, then let you know that it found smoke. With a high, very high-pitched sound, or in some cases, yelling at you. But uh, the way that uh, they frequently are done in a house is there will be not just independent alarms stuck up on the wall of a different room, like it was when I was a kid. Now they're wired together. And they're wired in a series so that if one Uh smoke detector goes off, 
it will make the other ones in the house go off as well, which is a safety thing so that if there's a fire, you know, on in the living room and it's the middle of the night, it'll still go off in the bedroom. The smoke won't have to make its way all the way to and fire, I guess, into the bedroom to go off. Yeah, that seems sensible. Yeah, it makes sense. So when you replace one, you can't just really, if they're old, they're all old, they all need to be replaced. They all need to be replaced with a similar one. And unlike the kind that you just pull off the wall and stick a new one on in its place, these are wired together. So there's a little bit of wiring involved. It's not complicated stuff. But You can't just tear it off in anger and, and throw it at the floor. You can't, no. because And in some cases, so we found some of them were, instead of beeping loudly when you press the test button, they kind of beep like, like that. Oh. So that meant replace it. And we had, yes, we'd already tried new batteries in them, but they were, it was time to go. Now there are two different kinds of fire smoke detectors. One uses ionization technology, which is the same one that we've had most of our lives. Then there's a newer one that is, uses photoelectric technology to detect smoke. Oh, and, and that's why our old one went off when we cooked and the new one doesn't. That's exactly right. Okay. The new one that's, is that's cool. I didn't I never knew the reason or how that worked. Yeah, and apparently the new ones are much better at detecting real fire as opposed to a kid a, a, someone cooking something or the chain but they're also the the downside is they can also be sensitive to other things you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be. They're very very sensitive to dust, for example, or if you have like a Ah, even a bug can get in it and, and set it off. You can have sometimes a humidity change. So if you have one near a bathroom door and you're in no there showering. Kidding. Yes. So apparently there's a lot of false alarms that can happen with that type of fire alarm. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different models. Only some of them are hardwired. So your choices aren't really that many. And going through this process of researching how many different kinds there are and which ones are sold where. And, and reading, there are some really terrible reviews of like the number one brand, the main one they sell at, like Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And I started reading the Amazon reviews of it and there were hundreds that were all giving it like one star, false alarm, doesn't work. Well, it turns out that those came from a third-party seller on Amazon and apparently that third-party seller had bought some overstock or something and they were selling expired fire alarms. So the people were getting them and oh opening them from the box. They were already 11 years old out of the box. So, oh my God, yeah, that's awful. Like, it's, it's strange that something that seems so basic and so straightforward, there's so much wrong with it. And then when you get the actual fire alarm and open it up, and put it up on the wall, you're dealing now with, I know it's certainly a pet peeve of mine, but I think it is of yours too. There's a lot of lights on these things. But the way that they have made these, it used to be that the fire alarm had at most two lights on it. One was a little flashing light that would, it would usually flash once per minute that would indicate to you, I, I am alive and doing my thing. And then there was another light or button on it that you would press to test or hush the alarm, depending on your, your, the, sound, the sound that your smoke detector is going to make. Now, though, they still have at least those two, but they're built in they're so, such crap now. They're built so poorly now that it's, it is impossible to take a little piece of gaffer tape or whatever, the little stickets that we like to put on things, and block the light. Even putting it directly over those two little lights, that used to be enough. Now, that's not enough anymore. The light, I think they call this seepage, the light seeps mm. out around the base and around the whole thing, and there is no way to block the light. And you say, well, why don't you put something 
over it or why don't you put something over that area? Because if you put something over that area, you're making it so that the smoke detector doesn't detect smoke anymore or you're reducing the efficacy of its ability to detect the smoke by blocking up the opening there. And it's very, very frustrating because we generally try to sleep in the dark. We don't want lots of lights on. And my wife was really upset about this because she's like, they shouldn't make them this way. You know, she's very, very much, it shouldn't be like this. It, it should be a completely different thing. Why? Because there's no way to block this light. And it's clearly a cheapness of manufacturing. They're, they're using as little plastic as they have. So we went out and got a different model of them. First, we went with the, um, it's a company called, it's either Kid or Kitty. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Yeah, I know it. what you mean. They, make, they also make fire extinguishers. Yes, they sure do. Though They make a brand of fire alarm now called Fire X, which I guess was a separate brand that they then acquired. And then there's another one called First Alert that's out there. Both of these sold in Lowe's and Home Depot, respectively. Uh, they're very good at reviews and everything else, but both of them have this problem. And then the replacement one we got is even worse than the original one that we got. Hmm. And, you know, we have talked before about things like Nest and these other sort of technologies that exist out there now to make your life easier as far as alerting you to, you know, having an alarm system that's a little bit smart and things like that. I'm almost starting to consider getting something like that, although I don't think I'm going to because it's cost prohibitive for as many rooms as we need, just because th there's no way to make these things a little bit darker and, th and they're so prone to problems. The, the ionization ones, those all have um, uh, like chirping, beeping problems, even when the battery's new. And then the uh, photoelectric kind, the new kind, uh, are getting false alarms sometimes because they're, they're detecting, you know, a fly went by in the night. Ah. So this is one of those things that seems so important. And it's at the same time, it seems so basic that this is just the kind of thing that everybody who is, who is living in a, uh, a house or an apartment or whatever... Uh, it needs to have. Now, right. you, if you go and you look at the ones that are not hardwired, the individual ones that you just buy in like, I guess they call it a blister pack. If you buy it in one of those things. Like a multi-pack? Like a, a multi. But you know, no, the, the kind that have like that plastic, the way they fabric, uh, package everything up in China. Oh, like the, the clam, clamshell or whatever they yeah, call it? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, those, generally the ones that are standalone that don't have this wiring thing, those, you get all the good features in them. They don't have all the extra little lights and all that. They have the talking one, like the one you got that I got and, re and returned. And <laughs> it's, but they're not, they can't be wired in series together. It's a strange scenario. Mm. And yeah, uh, I wanted to, wondered if you could shed some light on this. I'd, I'd be happy to uh, jump in. It's It feels like a flavor of what our friend John Syracuse on your hypocritical program called worse worse and more diverse where yeah. where you <laughs> yeah. know i mean you, you want these developments in the technology behind it but then there's just this this funny thing whether gosh you see this you sure see this in car dashboard display systems and it just microwave ovens toaster ovens any of these things where it feels it's sometimes difficult as a consumer to understand the direction that these things take and that that manifests itself in the most primitive way by us going, I, this, is, this is not only a feature that I don't want, 
the features that I do want, you're really either removing or going very cheap on. Mm. And again, the, the toaster oven being a classic example, the toaster oven that most of us had in 1978 would be a delight to have today. It was completely understandable and did what you wanted it to do. And then I guess on the far end of the spectrum, there's the stuff, the, maybe sometimes like the Apple type products where you're like, that doesn't seem like something I'd want. But once you start using it, you go, oh, 3D touch is actually a really cool thing. That makes right. a lot of sense. Right. The, the one question here is like the light. Why do you think they made it that way? Because they must have tested this. I'm sure and, they tested and, it. I mean, when I say that, I'm I'm not trying to be glib. They must have tested that exhaustively in many different environments. And so at some point, did somebody say, wow, this light's really annoying. You should be able to turn this off. Or was that never even a consideration because the light does something? Do you think the light, do you think they believe the light does something important? Well, yes, I I have to believe that. Again, there's usually two lights, one of them that sort of flashes intermittently, and that's what's letting you know that it is alive. And Ugh, then, like the, in a hotel room, it drives yes, me crazy. Yes, exactly. I guess. Why it, would you install a? Think of it this way. Instead, think of it like: Would you buy a blinking light that happens to be a smoke detector? Like, I would never buy a blinking light for my house. What an odd thing to buy. It's a very weird thing. And I guess here's my only conclusion. The only conclusion that I have is that they have studied it. And somewhere within there, and by the way, the first alert one is much, much brighter than, uh, than the, the, the FireX one. And it's enough, I'm not going to say you can sit and read by it, but I think in a, in a typical scenario, if you were to look at an, an average person's bedroom, you know, they've got the blinds shut, but there's the, the ambient light from outside or the, or the moonlight or the street lamp light shining in through, the, through their blinds. They've got their alarm their clock radio uh on so that's casting a red light they've probably got a tv in their bedroom and there's the little led diodes on that that cast a light they um they certainly have other things in the room that might make light so one more thing with a little bit of light they're not even going to notice that i I don't think they'll notice it at all but if you're like us and you're constantly on a quest to sleep in in natural darkness then it this thing is like shining a spotlight off in the room it's hard to, it's really difficult to know sometimes what kind of stuff you are just a weirdo about and you don't know that you're in an extreme minority yeah. of weirdos. Yeah. But, but I agree with you on that point, especially about, you know, this is, this is important. You really want this thing to work. And if, but if you add in those features, you would expect it to be um, more solid and more configurable and more all of those things rather than less so. You know, like, exactly. you know, what if, what if they had a, what if they came up with a car this is obviously silly but what if you came up with a car where you could um have half again the gas mileage you've got but you can't make left turns you can go well actually you know that's pretty important for how I like to roll in in my automobile right. I don't know I, I find it frustrating we and but uh yeah we had a thing I think I told you about this but we had a thing where we were away and um and of course, you've got the canary so we can look in on the cat and make sure everything is cool. But like, we, we said, oh, you know, we derived our destination. Let's go see how the cat's doing. Oh, my God. And, and we see the cat just wandering around and like staring up at the ceiling. And we were away for like two nights or three nights. And it's so anxious of an enterprise to be watching your home from far away, know, and a, know that a smoke alarm is going off 24 hours a day and not have any way. And I keep thinking, maybe the battery will die. Mm-mm. Very efficient, very efficient. The battery <laughs> did fine. We walked into the house, you know, three mornings later. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel so horrible. I feel bad for the cat. I feel bad for our neighbors. 
and I feel bad for all this unnecessary anxiety. And, yeah. and then my, my sister-in-law helpfully uh, offered up that factoid I'd never heard, which is that basically every smoke alarm has a life. You know, <laughs> they put a, a date on bottled water now yeah. that every smoke alarm, like definitely by 10 years has to be replaced. And it's hard. I mean, like, I just went to Wirecutter and there's not a surpassing amount of information about what's the best smoke detector. No, there really isn't. And the frustrating part of it is that you... You can't, there, there are, and especially with many, many people's houses, you can't just go and buy a nice one that is going to be shielded and look good and have the extra features because you have this wired scenario. And this is, I mean, that's something that you really and want. Hugely, it must hugely limit your options. Yeah, there's basically like two or three on the market that are out there. And I really think it's one of those strange things where like, if, let's just make believe money is no object and that it doesn't matter how much anything in the whole world were to cost. Yeah, if you, you say, you say like, for, if it's something really important to you, like, I'm no matter what it costs, even if it's five times more, I want the best conceivable model of this thing. Right. You could do that with a car. And if you were to spend that kind of money on a car, you would get a car that was perfect and beautiful and every single stitch in the fabric and every single dial and everything was going to work perfectly and look great and operate beautifully and the car was going to be safe and dry like there's tons and tons and tons of options in the world of cars for people who want to spend a lot of money and you could argue the same I, yeah. thing for for almost anything except I always, think kitchen, this. I, always, I always think of kitchen knives where like you can really you can get along mostly okay with um you know, a $5 knife that you bought at Target. But yeah. once you've used a really good kitchen knife, it's kind of hard to go back. But in that case, you, there are different kinds of knives that you can get and you can do your research and try different ones. But like once you have a really nice knife, there's not really that much of a trade-off no. once you've popped for it. Yeah. But you know, again, this is that 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 uh, episode you did with Syracuse, that worse and more diverse, it always, it looms large in my head now because I think about it all the time, which just, it's difficult to understand. And here, here's another angle on this. I'm going to mention this again. I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but um, this extension it sounds random, but this extension you can get for your browser called Fake Spot. You remember we laughed about some of the uh, Amazon fake reviews for things. Yes. Fake Spot, um, if you are not familiar with it, once you install this, once you're when you're on a page for something on Amazon, you run Fake Spot, and it uses. I don't think it's anywhere near perfect, but it uses some pretty canny algorithms to go through and do stuff like say, okay, how many of these reviews are I dug down a little bit on how this works and it's pretty fascinating. How many of these reviews are by people who have only posted reviews about products from this company? And it's a pretty obscure company, so that's weird. How many of these reviews have very similar uh, phrasing? But what the, the really valuable part is less about the reviews and more about the reviewers because it aggregates all this information and says, hey, it, it's kind of funny that this person seems to be posting nothing but these certain kinds of reviews and so I ran this on something the other day that was like number one in its category and, you know, top sales and thousands of reviews and 4.7 stars or whatever. And I was like, no, I'll run fake spot on that. And it got an F. Ugh. The vast, vast majority. I don't want to say that they're fake, but the vast majority were low quality or very suspicious. So, you know, in my head, I used to think, and I'm not trying to throw Amazon under the bus, but it used to really feel more in my head at least. Like when you would go in and look at stuff, you would get a pretty good gauge, plus or minus one star of how mm. useful it was. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but you'll go in and you'll and you'll see like my the vast majority of these are are very weird and suspicious and uh yeah hurts your confidence it's hard to know where to go for these things and and you know what as with the hue lights which i think we'll probably talk about in the next week or two yep. you know it's you there's stakes to getting this stuff wrong if you if you go and just grab a smoke detector and stick it on your wall and then don't test it again after a week or two you might be very surprised to learn that it's not working at all like because you bought one that's 10 years old yes i mean and there should be a manufacturer date but uh, why would you think about a manufacturer date on one of these things, it just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't no, seem right. like that should be the kind of, well, why are they selling it if it's not, if it's no good? Why would they even be selling Right, right. And, and one, I think, kind of nice thing that Amazon does um, is that if you go and, for example, let's say I want to go rebuy some ear pods that I bought three years ago or yeah, whatever. Yes. And you'll frequently get the thing where it says, click here for the newest, the newer model of this. So I think that's, that is handy and useful because if there is a more updated version, especially if it involves whatever, Bluetooth, if it involves some kind of technology that where it might have gotten better, you definitely don't want the old one. But yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously with something like a pair of shoes or a rake, if you bought two and then used the second one five years later, assuming that it had been stored right, you, you wouldn't expect it to, to break. But I guess that's not the case. Also, there's the whole, like, just the whole battery issue these days. My goodness. Oof. Somebody had a really interesting um, tweet about the Samsung Note. Is that what it's called? The one that's catching fire? The that's, yeah, then now the replacement models are catching fires. Two, two things that I've seen, and forgive me, I don't know who said this. It's just retweeted from other people I follow. But two things that really struck me. One was from a person who is, um, I, I think, probably Muslim, but like definitely an apparent brown person. And they're like, can you imagine if that was my phone? This set like went on fire during a flight. You think I would get off that flight alive? I'd never thought of that before. Oh my God. Isn't that harrowing to think about? Seriously. The other one, what if you stuck it into the cardboard and we're using it for VR when that happened? Never thought of that. That's so scary. Because you always get those right warnings up. when you, you get something in the mail or from Amazon that says, oh, this has a lithium ion battery in it. Da 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 da. There's restrictions. And I don't, I don't give it half a thought, but now I do. Yeah. When you see where people put their, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to gang up here, but you see these photographs where people put their phone down and there's like a, a horrible outline of burnt, like this is burned. It's burned into the wood where they set it down. And now I'm thinking about, man, I want to be careful where I put my phone down. You know, never thought about that. I mean, I've heard, you know, we've all heard these stories like phones exploding and other things. And it seems like it's a super rare scenario, you know, when for that to actually happen. But it it is not. I mean, it, with, with something like this, it is not something that we would really think was possible. It's yeah. It's just... It's just insane. It's just insane. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, this would actually be a good topic to think about and then talk about, but because it, it feels it's one of those things that everybody bitches about and we get very emotional about it. But, you know, I haven't really like thought this through in a really rational way, but it it, it does feel like, and you know, you're, you're talking to Merlin 4.5 here. Like, oh, I'm trying really hard to like, to like grow up about stuff and not be an old man. But with that said, there is this certain feeling. Look at board games, like the board games that were, that were already so junky in the 1970s and eighties. It now looks like something you cut out of a cereal box. Like you, you know, you go pick up like a board game for your kids. It doesn't cost any less, but it's, it's total garbage. There's no build quality, you know, to it at all. 
And it's just strange how many how many things today where you're like, I I wish this cost just a little bit more. Do you remember Dark Tower? Some, yes, I do. I mean, a game like that could never get made today. That was was that an, elect- that was an electronic game, right? Yeah, it it had a a big circular um, map, a, a kind of like the board was a circular map and it had sort of a terrain on it, if I remember right. And then there were little pieces sort of almost like monopoly pieces, but they were, they were kind of like little castles and other things like that. Cause this was like a medieval times kind of game, dungeons, dragons kind of game. And you'd put these then, I guess you were work. You, the dark tower was this sort of almost like an obelisk, like a giant castle. It was like a Steven Spielberg uh, yeah. thing. It looked kind of like a little bit close encounters. Kinda. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, was it what's called Dark Tower? Yeah, like Devil's yeah, Tower is what you're thinking. It's similar, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. had like little castle, uh, castle-y things across the top and uh and and then you would hit a button it had like a keypad on the front of it and you would hit different buttons and the and the buttons would be like what depending on where you went you might go to like the bazaar and you'd hit the little button that said bazaar oh, and wow. then it'd be like do you want to buy and you'd be like this yes. is even cooler than i remember no it was really cool wow look at that yeah 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 and it's there's a certain kind of thing like that where I feel like we just got used to the fact that we replace this rather than repair it. Like um, for a long time, I want to say televisions. I mean, mm-hmm. now today televisions, but CRT televisions and for example, let's say VCRs. Like, you know, if your VCR broke and VCRs would break in, in the 80s and 90s, yeah. the thing is you call up the place, you call the guy or, or the gal who's the VCR person mm-hmm. and there's always a bench fee. Which is like for me to even talk to you, it's going to be fifty dollars plus whatever it costs to fix it. And you very quickly do the math because at a certain point, VCRs went from being super costly to basically being two hundred dollars across the board. Right. Eventually cheaper, I guess, but right. they really got the cost down on those things. So you have to weigh that and go like, well, do I want to spend a quarter of the price of a brand new VCR to find out how to fix the old one, or do I just want to get a new one? Yeah, you know, yeah. There's not that much stuff like that anymore. Hmm. Hmm. I need to get our knives sharpened or honed. I know there's a difference, but uh, boy, you can really improve your quality of life by finding somebody who can uh, sharpen and hone your knives. It, it makes me improbably happy when, when my knives have been sharpened. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? <sighs> well, I hope you'll update us on this and I let will. us know I, I think how I'm, things are proceeding. I think I'm just going to be stuck with this. It doesn't seem like there's a good option out there. They, they suck. They all suck. If somebody out there knows, there's an appeal to our, and I know I will not hear one single email or tweet about this, but if there is a person out there that knows of a hardwired alarm that doesn't have this much light seepage and lots of false alarms and chirps and all that crap, please let me know because I would very much like to acquire seven of them. Because that's how many I need in my house. We've got mm. four uh, rooms that that are like sleeping rooms or, or you know whatever separate rooms, and then I've got three hallway ones because they they want like multiple hallway ones, and then there's a separate one downstairs. Mm. Brutal Night, nightmare. Help Dan. Nightmare. We have so much to talk about. Um, before we dive into some mini notes and follow-up, do you want to tell me about something that you like? I would like to tell you, and it's, uh, it's a new one too, and this is really cool. This is, uh, I'm going to tell you about some luggage, and it's from a company called Away. And you may have away. heard Away, like get away. 
Get away. Oh, oh, that's good. That is good. What they do is uh, they have created, and this is their whole approach, this is their company approach. They create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to travel. And you and I have talked many, many times about coming up with a perfect like carry-on bag. Now, they do three sizes. They do a carry-on, they do a medium, and they do like a large. I have been using the carry-on bag, and it is... Uh, it has all the requirements, the Merlin requirements, which mm. is it has to have the four wheels in the bottom. Love the four wheels. So you can, what do they call it? A spinner? I call it a spinner. <laughs> is that what you call it? Is that what you call it? That's also, according to John Ruddock, that's a term of art we should avoid. But yeah, it's, you get a spinner bag. Well, this is the thing. They went out and they asked uh, thousands of people, how do you pack? When you're traveling, you know, what do you need to take with you? What is bugging you most about your existing luggage? And they dissolved dissolved and designed a bag uh, that, that solved a few of these old problems like, like sticky wheels and new ones like what happens if you run out of charge for your cell phone. This is the bag that everyone's probably heard about. It has the built-in USB charger in it with wow. two USB ports in it. So when you're at a layover at the airport or you're in your you know taxi driving somewhere or when you get to the hotel, whatever, like you don't even have to unpack a charger. You just plug the into the USB port. Now, it has its own little USB charger. So when you're sitting there at the airport and you know how they have those chargers in like really dumb places and you don't yep, want to yep. like sit on the ground next to the thing, that's fine. You just go and plug no, your... You know just go over here, plug your, plug your phone into the wall, like Ugh. 40 feet from where you are. That'll be fine. It's so dumb. Now you can just plug your suitcase in anywhere. It'll charge up, right? And then later when it's convenient to you, you charge from that. It's really, really cool. These things are made with this German polycarbonate um, m- material that has the impact resistance. It's super, super, super lightweight. It has the built-in for people who like to pack with like compression systems. It's got a compression system built in. It's got uh, 360 degree spinner wheels and they're really good. It's got the TSA approved combination lock in the top. So you wow. don't have to have a separate lock on it. Um, it's got, it comes with its own little laundry bag that folds up into a little compartment. You unzip it, boom, now you get your laundry bag. Um, but it, it, you can charge like cell phones. It'll charge your iPad just it's got, fine. It's got, two, it's got two USB ports on it. Two USB ports. And they say that the, I haven't tested it to this degree, but they say that a single charge will charge your iPhone five times. Oy vey. Lifetime warranty. They'll fix or replace it for life. And... They've got a 100-day trial. You can actually go and they say, like, yes, take it with you, travel with it, do whatever you decide to do with it, 100 days. And if you don't like it, they'll take a refund, no questions asked. This thing is super, super cool. I'm using this now as my main bag, and I love it. It comes in a bunch of different colors. I got the, I got the blue one. Ooh. Uh, and uh, you get free, free shipping oh, if you're blue. within the continental United States. Blue, blue away. Blue away. Blew away. It's blown away. It blew you away. The yeah, blew away. It did. I got to tell you, this thing looks great. I have not seen one of these. Dan got one of these. I haven't gotten one of these. That's fine. It's his show. But uh, <laughs> this looks really sharp. <laughs> it's 38 pretty awesome. liters. 38 liters. That's a category leading 38 liters here on their carry-on. That's right. That price is not bad by a long shot. No, it's it's a really good price. I mean, these things, if you've ever priced out carry-on bags, Ugh. like they are very, very expensive, especially ones that are have that made of the polycarbonate. This one has it all. It's got the little separate compartment for your other stuff with the zipper built in. Anyway, 20 bucks off your order. If you go to awaytravel.com slash back to work, 
And the promo code to use to get that is back to work. So again, awaytravel.com slash back to work. Promo code back to work. I, I really like I really like this bag. So go check it out and uh happy travels. Thanks away. Thanks away. Um somebody like asked this. us to talk Oh, I like this thing a lot. Um somebody asked to talk about the origin of Bok Bok. We're gonna have to come back to that. We do not have, to have time today. Okay. I have prepared and we have many, many things to talk All about. Right. Um, I can skip all of it if you want. This will never air, right? Well, I mean, I'll edit. I'll edit this part out. Uh, listener Carrie. Uh, oh, Carrie from uh, from the Good Wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Following up from uh, Sex and the City, Fo- followed up with uh, giving us a really neat suggestion. This is one of those great, like, oh, it's it's so obvious, but it's brilliant. Listener Carrie points out that if you're living the multiple uh, DNS server lifestyle. Right, like if you're, we, I think we were talking about how like Comcast oh. dies sometimes. I mean, you might some, want to use some people won't; they're not comfortable with that. Oh, you mean uh, you know. polydeanessery? Yes, <laughs> it's illegal in some states. Wear a bathrobe. Um, <laughs> it's called Latter Day Saints. So oh you, um, so you. Uh, anyway, you know how you can go into your network, uh, Dealy Bob, and you can add in different DNS servers. Listener Carrie suggests what you can do is use the very handy location thing. So you probably don't think about this very much, especially like on a desktop Mac. But when you're in your network, what's it called? Network preferences it used to be called. Now it's just called network. When you're in network settings, you see you've got that location colon and then a pull down. So uh, just a really neat idea that, like, for example, if you want to be rolling with your standard ISP's DNS, is you might want to save that, save all of your regular configurations for me, like Ethernet 1, Wi-Fi, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then save that as a, as a location. So if you want to switch to Google DNS or Open DNS or anything else you saved, you can just go in and uh, do that right from in there. I thought that was very clever. So thank you to listener Carrie nice for that. Tip. Um, can I talk about a, a, a very interesting uh, new app for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, first time type, typer. Um, <laughs> I discovered. I do this like via, a new app. I do like a new app. New app. I like. Well, I like is, a new app. What this is doing is is not you know unheard of, but I love the way this app works. It's called Typora. T i t y p o r a. It's in show notes. Uh, I learned about this via Twitter user Scott. Thank you, Twitter user Scott. Uh, and you know, I, when you open this thing up, it feels a lot like what? Maybe byword. It's it's one of those. It's that flavor. Basically, it's a Markdown text editor, right? And it's it's got that feeling of a polished Markdown text editor in that you can do Markdown formatting in it, and it shows you what it looks like rather than what it should look like when formatted, rather than how it's formatted. Hmm. So, for example, you don't see two octothorps in a space in front of your H2, you just see bigger, bolder text. And yes, it does support things like themes and changing fonts and CSS. And I'll get to all of this in a second. But so, I mean, in that way, it's, you know, it's a little bit, I guess, kind of like by word. But the idea is to keep you very focused on whatever it is that you're trying to do to be able to do markdown formatting without really having to think about it. So it's got lots of uh, good key commands for doing all the typical markdown formatting. But it also, it gets a little crazy. It does stuff that is very surprising and cool for an app that's not meant to be, well, it's a markdown app, so it's always a little nerdy. But for example, stuff you normally only see in something like, say, TextMate or Sublime Text, it has scope selection. So like if you're inside of, like how often are you inside of the brackets that are the anchor for, you know, a link? Oh, yeah. 
And so you can just you hit a key and that selects everything inside that oh, particular scope. Handy, I know handy, you know handy. what I know you know what this means, but but it just means that with scope you're basically saying, well, select all of this all everything that's a, just a string of text around correct me if I'm wrong. Select everything that's just a string of text around my cursor. And then you could even say in most text editors you could say then increase scope to be like what's the next paired uh, tags around that. So maybe that's bold tags. I don't know if you can go that far with this, but it's stuff like that. So handy w when you're looking at the formatting, you could see, for example, that there's a markdown reference link. I, I tend to put those at the bottom of the page if mm -hmm. I do that, but mm -hmm. it's kind of grayed out, but it's there if you need it, you can set it so that when you, you know, basically when you click on anything that has formatting, it reveals the formatting just for that line. Lots of great key commands. This is now that's all stuff you've probably seen in other places. Here's something that blew me away. I was um, talking to, who was I talking to about this? I want to say Federico mentioned this something. I forget what we're talking about. But you know, there's this, there's this really crazy open source project you can get called Pandoc, P-A-N-D-O-C. And it's very, very powerful. And Pandoc is, it's not just Markdown, it's almost like a universal translator for formatting. I mean, that's a very broad way to put it, but Pandoc is great. If you can get it, back in the day, getting Pandoc set up, configured, and updated was kind of a pain in the butt. I played with it for a while at a time when I actually had an ex extreme use case for it, but I kind of threw up my hands because I just got, it was like a rabbit hutch. But I discovered from um, someone responding to that, I want to say it was probably this Twitter user, Scott, that Pandoc is now, first of all, Pandoc is now available as a package. So you don't have to go do homebrew to install Pandoc anymore. Oh, nice. And so here's how, here's how this gets cool. So let's say you're inside Typora. Uh, reload content. You're inside ty Typora and you're thinking, oh, I'd like to be able to do more Pandoc-y things. Check this out. You just go to help and you pull down to install and use Pandoc. And it takes you to a little documentation page where you can go download the package for Pandoc. You install it, and then I think you probably have to restart it. But guess what? You now have Pandoc ability inside of Typora. And so let's get straight eventually to the interesting part. Uh, something I have to deal with hmm, four times a month, you get a docx from somebody, often from a sponsor. You get an update on a sponsor read. And like, oh, you know, and for me, I want to put that into Markdown, put it into show notes, like these are my ad reads for this episode, et cetera. And guess what? Within three minutes, I was able to drag a docx document on to Typora, and in less than a second, it pops up as formatted Markdown. It did all of that, because Pandora did all of that behind, not Pandora, um, Pandoc did all of that behind the scenes. How cool is that? It's so cool. You, have you been weird. using the heck out of this now? Yeah, I've only had it for a couple of days, but I really like it. It's it's a beta. Um, also, I should say it is available for OS X, Windows, and Linux. It is currently in beta. It's free while it's in beta, and I don't know what it will cost once it's out. It's got some little bugs that I want to report. It handles HRs kind of weirdly. Oh, here's something that's really neat. Like, you know, if you do um, two spaces at the end of the line, it interprets that as line break, as a BR. It, it shows you that in line as a little down arrow. So you can see when you're browsing the document that, that that's a, a break that's been added. Little things like that that are actually super helpful without making it ugly. Um, and what was my point? So powerful, free, during... What were we talking about? Go, pop pop this, the stack. This You were talking about the type, typor, typoria. Typora. Um, 
it also has, it's, this is in show notes. You'll find this in show notes. Also a link to their very good documentation page, um, which is support.typora.io. And it shows you how to do stuff like you can use, if you install this uh, JS-sequence, I guess, okay. you can do stuff like you can have code-fenced code that creates things like sequences, flow charts, mermaid charts, et cetera. You can do Gantt charts in Markdown with this. I don't have a use for that, but I love that this exists. And I love that somebody is actively pushing the envelope on what you would want to do with a Markdown uh, editing app. So I would say, you know, if you're on OS 10 and you're a Markdown user, like so many of us are, go to typora, T-Y-P-O-R-A.io, retweets are not endorsements, but uh, go, go and check it out. It's, it's, it's free to look at. And, uh, I think it's it's dynamite. It's it's gonna save me a lot. Oh, it also does stuff like highlighting. It, the like wildly extended markdown set. Like if you want to do stuff like say you put equals equals as tags around something, uh -huh. it'll give it like a yellow background. That's handy. Anyway, it's a young app. It's a new app. It's in beta, but I thought that was super interesting. And if if it's also just this is a as a kind of side load. I had no idea Pandoc was now available in a non. What do you call that? Like it's as a package, as you know what I mean, as an install rather than as just doing a homebrew thing. Yeah. Homebrew is neat, but it can be really, there's a, you really, you got to really got to want it sometimes. You know, homebrew is like back in the old days of HiveLogic days when I used to write those tutorials of like how to install MySQL and PHP and Apache. I mean, I was writing those because something like homebrew didn't exist. You know, you couldn't just type brew install mysql like now you can do that and a billion other things and it's great but mm -hmm. back in the old days there there was no other way you had to just google for it so i spent probably you know i don't know three hours a week just updating these guides that i used to write until homebrew came out and i didn't have to do it anymore yeah my experience as a novice actually i think i've told you numerous times one of my first introductions to your talent was in those wonderful tutorials very well written tutorials but you know you think about each step something like Hey, here's how to do this this better install of MySQL, or here's how you right. know here's how to do PHP properly, right, right, or, or right. usually back in the day Ruby and Rails you yeah. would have happens. But it seems like like so many of those were to get it down to pigs and bunnies for somebody dumb like me. There would be like three to four extra steps for each thing. Like you have to get this, you have to download that, you have to unzip it. It has to go in this directory, and then you might have to change something with configuration inside of there. And then, but then on top of that, I mean, the beauty of, of, as I understand it, the beauty of a package manager like Brew is it'll help work you through all the dependencies and stuff like that. Like if you say install this giant project, it's going to first install all the dependencies that are needed. But, you know, that's one part of the tech nerd life that I personally don't miss. You know, in your case for doing Fireside or John Sarkisa doing Perl, you're going to have your own setup for these things that's very bespoke. But for somebody who just wants to use this for a thing, if I just want Cherry Pie to be able to run for whatever reason, mm -hmm. like I love that that has gotten so much easier. Um, yeah, and there's, and, you know, there, I just want to, I want to agree with you. There's no reason that people should do homebrew unless they should do homebrew. It's, there's so much cool stuff, though, that... I'm trying to think of, I just ran it for the first time since Christ was a corporal the other day, and I guess my my copy of Homebrew is too old. I haven't used it in that long. It said something like, "This requires tiger or lion," and I was like, "Hmm, Ooh. has it really been that long?" Wow. But you know, it, it's uh, yeah. I would say don't do it unless you need to. It's it's sort of like servicing your own brakes. 
Did you do you brew know? update and then it gave you that git error? Let's see. I'll walk you through that later. Brew update. How about I spell it right? B. Brew update. Homebrew requires leopard or higher. For tiger support, C. Oh, yeah. You're going to need... I'll, I'll, I'll fix that. I'll no, no. No, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But, um, boy, that is a godsend. Um, and then I just want to mention in passing just a couple other little things. Oh, here's another thing. Um, this somewhat obviates my next suggestion, but not completely. Another nice thing, if you've ever done tables in Markdown, which is a, not, not in canonical Markdown, I think it's multi-Markdown or one of the other ones, but tables in Markdown can be surprisingly useful. And so the way it looks pretty weird when you're looking at it in Markdown, it might look kind of odd. Basically, it's a series of pipes. Is it what is it pipes and like equal signs? And let me go see what this looks like. Yeah, so you use, you use pipes, colons, and dashes to basically have the areas that represent columns. You can go look this up on your own. But um, it's not fun to edit in a text editor. And it's very confusing. And, you know, you can use something like Brett Terpstra's uh, services to say, clean up this table and it'll reformat it graphically. But with uh, with Typora, if you want to put in a table, all you have to do is hit the uh, the table command, say how many columns and rows you want. And it gives you a graphical representation of the table inside Typora, including justification for columns. So you go in, you enter all your data, uh, and it just it formats it for you automatically. Huh. Very, very tidy. So cool. And then I just, I just want to mention this because I thought it was a neat app. This is a, this is a, this is a oneer by um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Christian T I E T Z E. He's a developer, a very interesting developer. He's like one of the original Tumblelog people. He does very interesting stuff with knowledge uh, systems. He made a neat new app called Table Flip that you can check out and table flip <laughs> all table flip is. And I think it's table flip app, table flip app, app.com. All it is, is, and this is good. All it is, is a table editor for Markdown. And what's neat about it is if you've got a document with a bunch of tables in it, now why would you want a table? Well, there's lots of reasons to want a table. One thing that I do multiple times a month is I send sponsors This is inside baseball, but sponsors want to know like, when did my episode run? Like what number is it? What date is it? How many downloads did it get? And sometimes they'll want, like, say, a link to, um, you know, like an air check. And I, I do that with tables in Markdown. I could do it in other places, but that, that works for me. Uh, that's how my brain works. And so if you've got, let's say, a document with five Markdown tables in it, Table Flip, when you open it, it opens it up and all you see are the tables and it looks like uh, Excel or, or Google Sheets. You have like tabs for each of the titled tables in it. You can do all your editing in there and it automatically reformats it for you. I just wanted to mention that because I like Christian's work and uh, you might want to check that out at tableflipapp.com. Hmm. Last one on this. You know, when you're like a beta test flight type person, you don't want to talk about stuff because you're not sure if it's you know public or not. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a feature of editorial I'm happy to say I, I recently realized is public. This is very obscure, but I think very interesting. Are you familiar with Fountain? the format for screenwriting and screenplays? No, I am not. Fountain is a progeny of Markdown. Because, you know, basically, if you want to have a screenplay, it has to be in a very specific format. Mostly you're forced to use that awful app, uh, Final Draft. But who, who came, was it, was it Stu? I think Stu Mashwitz, he and John August were involved in either Fountain, I know they're involved in Slugline, and I think he was involved with Fountain. And Fountain is just a Markdown-based way 
to be able to format your screenplays, to be able to do stuff like this is a character. This is parentheticals on what the character is doing. And then down here is the dialogue. Over here are things like cut to. Here are things like interior, kitchen, night. It's impossibly simple and easy as a format. If you type something that's on a line by itself, where the entire thing is in caps and it's not, there's no tabs, uh -huh. it interprets that as like the setting. Like, so like, like I say, you know, interior or like exterior, uh, you know, night, Europe or whatever. If you have uh, something in all caps with text right under it, it interprets that as the text in all caps is a character. And then under that is the dialogue, et cetera. It does all of this by just interpreting combinations of spacing. It's a little bit like Python, I guess. It does this all by interpreting based on, sometimes based on capitalization, sometimes based on um, uh, spaces and, and tabs. But you're able to have this incredibly lightweight way to just whip out a, uh, something like a screenplay. Uh, I don't have tons of occasion to do that, but when I do, I love how easy this is. And I'm just happy to say, yeah, Fountain, Fountain, learn about Fountain. It's fantastic. Slugline, check out Slugline. It's in show notes. But I didn't realize until like the other day that Editorial, the wonderful iOS app that I use as my text editor, also has Fountain support. And I think that's really cool. So you it's can go like- It's such a fun surprise when you're like, oh, this thing I really like also supports this other new thing that I just found. Oh, it's, it's, it's such a delight. And, you know, these days, these days when it's, you know, so au courant to have clever release notes, I've kind of gone dead to release notes because it's so often, you know, like you get the ones that are like, you know, we're, we put out a new version of this app every week and we would love you to give us a review. And it seems like mostly advertising a lot of times or, or like a personality diarrhea of like, Hey, look how funny we are about our release notes. But, uh, it does pay to go in and catch up on what's new with these apps, because especially after I'm going to say iOS 10, a lot of apps are doing a lot more very, very quickly. That this could be an episode uh, in the future. Yeah, is there's so I mean, like every day I'm seeing more and more great stuff in iOS 10. Sometimes around things like 3D Touch, but often around the lock screen or uh, the notification screen. There's more and more really great stuff that's happening. And it does pay to go and like, you know, go look at the preferences, go look at the, sh at the um, release notes. It can be very useful. Are you, are you a fan of uh, iOS 10 overall? I mean, would you say that you're enjoying it on board with it, everything else? Absolutely. Yeah, I guess we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I am very, very happy with iOS 10. It's, uh, it's really solid, really powerful. Um, and any of my weird intermittent problems I continue to have, I would write down to things that are not the operating system mostly. Like my battery life seems fine. The mystery meat pop-up iCloud things have started happening again for me after having gone away for a while. But no, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, that might be worth talking about more if it's not too nerdy. No, not I would episode. love to. I would love to because I, the more that I use it, the more I am sort of making peace with the things that I haven't liked about it. But my wife installed it recently because, you know, the phone, I guess, nagged her. Eventually, she just broke down and was like, okay, I had fine. to do it for my wife last night. She's like, I can't stand this anymore. Like, yeah. update this. Well, she, yeah. finally, she finally updated it. And, uh, and immediately, the first thing she says is, I hate this. This sucks. Does she do a lot of messaging, like sending messages? Yeah, she does a fair amount of messages. And what she immediately hated is she's like, and you have to understand, She's the kind of person who 
is happy to just deal with inconveniences. She doesn't complain very much. You know what I mean? Like she'll just. Or she wouldn't say she's it. Easy, she's, she's not easy saying it's going. To be a nerd. Right. No, I, I totally, I totally understand. It's just like it, it, you know, even down to like the lock screen. She's like, why are all these notifications on the screen? Why do I have to swipe in this way to do it? Why do I have to put my thumb on the thing in order to do whatever? Like it, there's so many assumptions. I think that that iOS 10 makes about the way that we like using our phones that, you know, that I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe. And I just haven't heard anyone come out and say, like, flat out, I, I hate it. And I'm like, well, you can get rid of those notifications. He's like, good, because otherwise I can't use the phone. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. Th- these were like, these were like, you know, this was like showstopper stuff for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think one of the common, like on Slack, I've seen several people talking about how they don't like the new format of the way notifications come up doesn't feel very sort of efficient space-wise. So big, um, so slow. And the way that like, I use lots of alarms, regular alarms. And now to make them stop, you've got to kind of pull down on it and then tap another stop. You can't just swipe it away. The right. morning alarm, you've got more options. You got to hit stop and, and in a different way. It's just, I'm not, I'm not a fan of these changes overall, but I'm growing more <laughs> used to them. Yeah, yeah. The, um, what was I going to say? Notifications. See, I, I don't have a suggestion on how to make this better, but I do know that notifications is kind of a thistle, especially if you only recently decided you're getting too many notifications and you've stopped hitting that, you know, allow notifications thing. Cause when you go in and look, you might be surprised at how many notifications are turned on because you're only seeing them in dribs and drabs. It's frustrating, but there's not this one, like, unless your phone has been off for like two days, you turn it on, you're like, oh my God, this is untenable. <laughs> right. There's so much here. It's like coming back from vacation and dealing with your email and you're like, oh my God, so much of this is garbage. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it is, this is a slog, but I think it is valuable, you know, just maybe even every, four times a year, go into notifications and and go in and just see how many of those you really need to have on. And, and you know, you might want to just shut them off all the way or at least make them less invasive. One thing that I do like, and I don't know when this happened, um, which OS, iOS this happened, but one thing that is cool is that for most Apple notifications, something I really like is that you can go in and select different sounds for the different notifications. Yeah, that's cool. And I really, I really wish that was something that was available to everybody because you know I don't want the generic. I would, I would love to, you see where I'm going with this. I, w- I would love a little bit more granularity on knowing when I should take my attention away from something to even go learn about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kind of do that. And, you know, I would actually encourage you not just for fashion or preferences, but I think it is really useful to go in and say, okay, when I hear this sound, this is what I think should be happening. And if you've got two that do the same thing, well, don't do that anymore. Make one that matches like, you know, like that um, boom, boom or whatever. Like that to me is like the reminder or the uh, calendar reminder sound. And that I want that to be different from the actual, you know, reminder, reminder sound. I want that to be different from the call sound. But um, another interesting thing uh, as a model, and I, I don't know how you would do this differently. One thing I, I think is very smart and cool that is a little unusual for Apple, but very smart is that if you are an Apple Watch user, a lot of what you do more and more all the time, what you do, what you can do to configure your watch can be done inside the Apple Watch app. So you can do stuff like make faces. 
uh, make new watch faces. You can do stuff like obviously control which apps are on and off. You can change, I think you can change the haptics. There's so much you can do inside that app where it's not feasible to try and do that on the watch. Right. It doesn't make sense. And I, I don't know what the analog would be for your iPhone, but maybe because I, I, you know, iTunes needs more features. But one really neat thing would be to get a uh, desktop computer view into settings on your phone would actually be incredibly helpful to me. Not least because I don't think most people even realize how many settings are on their phone, right? And so, you know, for example, this is worth mentioning once a month. If you haven't looked recently, go into the settings icon, that little gear, the little gray gear, and then pull down and notice there's now a search field inside of settings. So search for what you think you're looking for rather than having to look around because you might be surprised. It might be it might be under brightness or it might be under accessibility or it might be under someplace you wouldn't think to look. There's so much stuff under there and it's kind of arduous to deal with on that screen size. The SE, the SE screen, it's so clear that iOS 10 was designed not for us on the SE but for people on the really on the plus size phones even oh boy i I feel that when i'm on my ipad and using an iphone only app and it's like it's you know what i mean like it's it's there's so little on screen yes and you know i did the uh i did the thing that i remember not that long ago when the iphones first came out and they started to add the ability to make text on the screen a little bit bigger and I, i laughed at those poor people who were so dumb that they had to make the text default size larger and now i'm doing that and um it's you're just cutting away more <laughs> of your available space on the se you know what i mean oh yeah you know and like i yeah, it's fine because i uh i really like that feature you can bump and i forget exactly where it's kept but you can bump the size of the text across the board the whole os every and every app that uh that obeys that setting uh, it'll it'll be just a little bit bigger, and it's so handy. But man, you really cut into your screen real estate when you do that. Oh yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. But I got to do it. it is very, I got to do it. So I don't handy. have to like peer over my glasses anymore. Well, listen, we got a um, topic for this week. Would you like to tell me about uh, something else that you like? Sure thing. I can uh, I can tell you about. How about why don't I tell you about Casper? Oh, Casper! You are you kidding me, Casper? Woo! Casper is the sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. They eliminate commission-driven inflated prices. That basically means they give you a great mattress for a lot less money. They've won awards about it. They developed this thing, and they developed the way that it's delivered. And no one else, I don't think anyone else is ever doing anything like this, at least not that I ever heard of. They send you this tiny little box. It's like, did we, did we talk about this? Where It's like the George Jetson... The car folds up into the little, into a suitcase, briefcase, and he walks in the office with it? Not specifically, but that's, that's a pretty good example. When this box arrives at your house, the, the cubic inches and weight of this thing are going to make you think there's no way this is a bed. <laughs> right. There's no bed in there, but there is. It's going to be give- like one of those it's one of the eBay things. Where like, you know, you think you're buying a doormat, but they send you a photograph of right. the doormat. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, what happens is because it's made out of, uh, this very special sort of hybrid uh, of of foam and memory foam and all this other stuff, latex. It's they, it's comes wrapped up, and when you open it up, they give you a little tool, and you zip across the thing, and it just unrolls itself, and it breathes the air in, and it becomes a regular 
full-sized or, or twin or king-size mattress, and it is uh, so comfortable. I remember they I had, had mine for two years, two years. Two years I, 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 How do you feel? I love it. Well, my, I, 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 it, it's still working great. My wife had to travel um, recently and she was like, you know, she stayed in a nice hotel and she was like, ah, nothing like coming home. Isn't that funny? It's, it's so, yeah, it's really strange. It was very surprising to me. Well, they have, a, it's well, not a, surprising, but I mean like, no, you know, I, no, it's, I, for, well, for what you pay, these things are, are really, really affordable. Uh, a Casper mattress costs 500 bucks for a twin, 600 for a twin XL which I guess is for, for people in California, 750 for a full, 850 for queen, 950 for a king. That's under a thousand bucks for, uh, for a king size mattress. It's made so well. And it's so nice that like you won't find that anywhere else, but it's risk-free if you don't like it. Cause you get to try sleeping on it. You get to try it at home uh, for a hundred nights. If you don't love it, they will pick it up. They'll refund you everything. Because I understand the importance of that. And now they also have uh, like sheets and they have a, an adaptive pillow. Like they're focused on, on making your sleep just so much better. Time Magazine named them one of the best inventions of 2015. Again, it's like free shipping, 100 night uh, risk free. And you get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash it's your show. One word. It's your show is the coupon to use to get that terms and conditions apply. Uh, but these are wonderful mattresses. And if, if, you're, if you really have any doubt, contact Merlin. He'll be giving his phone number and you can call him mm-hmm. and, uh, and have a talk with him at night uh, mm-hmm. if, while you're laying on the mattress. But Dan, I'll be sleeping so soundly. Just leave a polite message. Okay. Casper.com slash it's your show. Code it's your show. 50 bucks. Thanks, Casper. Buck, buck. <clears throat> what we yeah. need to do is we need to record a segment explaining the buck, buck joke just so that we and we put that up somewhere and then we send people over to it just so that they we can just point them at that as like a one. oh it's like like how to produce how to uh, pronounce syracuse's name yes yeah um that's a good idea or we could also we could uh, periodically we could do an ongoing series where people ask us what the hell are you talking about yeah. and then we respond to that and ruin the joke okay all right it's your show um hmm. Hmm. what else did i have that's mostly it smith's video um, we have a topic this week and, uh, I, 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 I've thought about this, but I haven't planned it out too much. I just think this is a great topic because it's, it, it goes straight to something that you and I have suffered with and complained about and made lots of jokes about, uh, listener, John, I think listener, John, Twitter user, John, John Plummer writes to say, uh, using my funny Twitter name, do you have a smooth, he says smooth, which I think is a funny way to say smooth. Do you have a smooth way to reply to the inveterate email follow-uppers. I lightly blew up at one today, and I am not proud. Oh. I have had that feeling. So, you know, you and I have been um, trying to be good-natured and humorous about the fact that for a long time, somehow information about this show got on some kind of a list. And we, it's kind of slowed down lately, knock on wood, but we get a lot of ding-a-links who write in and I, why do I say dinglings? It's, it, it isn't nice people who say like, obviously who people obviously who, who are familiar with the show or have any idea who we are. Maybe that shouldn't matter, but it's clearly people who have no idea. First of all, what the show is about. They've scraped some information, say productivity, bruh, uh, it's a creativity show. You should have my author on what it, which becomes doubly, triply funny when it's obvious that we've never actually had a guest 
on this show. Right. And then they want to have a guest on the show. And you know what? I mean, seven times out of 10, you know, I just archive it. I don't think about it. Maybe even nine times out of 10. But sometimes you're just in a mood, you know? And you're in a mood and somebody is doing that and you stop what you're doing for the third time today to go find out that someone is, in my estimation, deliberately wasting my time with something selfish. And then they follow up on it. Yeah. And and we had, I mentioned someone, I think within the last month or so, who went from contacting us to three separate follow-up emails in less than a calendar week. <laughs> okay, now, that person has something they really want us to know about. They have something they really want us to do. Technically, as I'll talk about in a minute, they actually have at least two things that they want us to do. Right? This is a stranger who's asking you to do two things. Now, how does that scale up? Right? Assuming that you don't just auto-delete all emails from people, how does that scale up? The amount of time that you spend looking at that, thinking about that, deciding what to do with it. I mean, I'm here to postulate, and I know this is fancy, but like, I feel like it's a waste of time to even have to read junk, right? Like, yes. I, When I get the dumb thing full of coupons in the mail, I don't go through and look at every coupon to decide whether it's valuable. No. I spend the the minimum viable waste of time to take it and put it in the recycling. Now, I don't know if that's I don't know if that seems strictly analogous. I wish there was some way that I could just say, you know what? With with much respect, I don't really want the coupons anymore. I'm not a coupon person. But I can't. So what do I have to do? I have to find a way to deal with that admittedly small nuisance in a classy way. Now, I could get on the phone. I could call the FTC. I could call the newspaper. I could start a, a move-on petition. I could probably do lots of different things, but it would not actually solve the problem. It would have me spending more time. And you know what? Depending on how I handled it, I might kind of look like a dick. And that's part of the thing when you're dealing up with the follow-up people, whether that's through emails. It's not always bad people. It's not always bad topics. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's urgent. It is often neither. But how the question here becomes, the problem state for, statement for me is, how do you develop something like a unified field theory for dealing with people who, how do I not say pester, who keep asking you to do something after you feel it should be clear that it's not something you're even going to talk about? Yeah. Is that a fair That's way a to wonderful, frame it? Yes, and it's and I just want to point out, we're not the only ones getting these. There's this is this is a new kind of spam, a new kind of spamming tactic. the 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 way these emails are worded is different. It's very conversational. They almost all start out with like, "Hey, hey, Merlin, hey, Dan." You know, they're they and then you and be and the reason why I think they start out the same way at least and I'm dumb and dumb enough to fall for it almost every time is sure when we're, you, we're not made of stone. We well, like a compliment. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the at, at your email, at least the way I see it on my iPhone is it's going to show you there's the subject line. So it has the person's I mean, the person's name on the from line and then it'll have the subject and then you'll see like one, maybe two of the next lines and it'll be like a person's name. And it'll say, connect, you know, it'll say something like back to work feedback or something like that. And the next line is like, hey, Dan, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about dot, dot, dot. And I, then I tap it and it's like about our famous new author joining your show for, you know, but like it, it's super frustrating because 
I feel every time I do it, I feel like I got tricked a little bit because here I thought, here is one of our listeners who's calling in with a comment or to ask a question or suggest a topic. This might be their first, they they might have listened to this show for the whole time we've been on and this is their first time, let's say, reaching out to us. It's their first time contacting us and the last thing you want to do is be a jerk with that person. Right. And so you go into it with- So you you have to read it. You have to read it. You do. And I- I want to. I feel like there's a couple. There's a couple angles to this. Um, one part I'd like to eventually get to, uh, if we can talk it out and work it out, is getting to where we change how we think about these things to be less caustic about it. That's that's a long path. But before we get there, and this is where I prepared a little bit, I think first we need to slightly taxonomize the different flavors of this. Because you and I, so far, what we've been talking about are the, what I would call nuisance emails, mm-hmm. where that's stuff from a stranger that's asking you to do stuff. And that's that's one case. But before we get to that, let's get to the different kind. Like, what if it's somebody where you have skin in the game? What if it's a relative who keeps asking you to do something? And let's not even, let's not even get into whether they should or shouldn't, whether it's good or bad, whether you want to do it or don't do it. Let's just first say, maybe let's just, no blame, as they say. Let's start with, there's somebody out there who asked you for something via text, via Facebook, via email, via where, wherever they could work their way into your life. There's something that they, they need you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I will posit in a minute, I think they're usually asking you to do, they might be asking you to do one thing. I think they're often asking you to do two or three things. We'll explore that in a minute. The first, the first thing is though, let's take an obvious example. Hey, it's me, your boss. Um, you know that project that I gave you that's completely untenable that you're working on by yourself for 16 hours a day right now? Like, how are we doing on that? And you get an email like that and you know, you're so busy doing the project and maybe being a little bit frustrated that that person's bugging you about it, you kind of don't want to respond. Like, what are you going to say? You know what I'm doing? I'm doing the work yeah. that you're not helping me with, that you saddled me with. So I think that even if it's somebody who's your superior, your boss, your somebody that you you have to have respect for, that can be really frustrating. So where are we with that kind of emails? Mm. But you can't respond. You shouldn't probably respond very emotionally with that. So I want to take the, that super class of people who you probably know or people who you know you need to respond to and how do you deal with those? And my my, my first thought on that is, I think it's useful to acknowledge that you will have to do something to follow up with that person. But before you dive into that, it might be advisable to take a minute to think about that person, that boss, that family member, that whoever person. And ask yourself a question that that in the last 20 years, more and more of us have to ask ourselves about email, which is, what is this message really about? Whether it's email, whether it's text, whether it's Twitter, whatever. What is What flavor of message is this really Without me reading too much into what I think this person's psyche is, what is this about? Because they all kind of seem like the same thing. They all kind of seem like, here's the thing you need to do. Are you will, you will you do that for me? But as we know, there's actually lots of flavors to that. At the most innocent level, sometimes somebody asking you a question is just a way of saying hello. Sometimes people following up with something may feel like they just need to insert their managerialness into what you're doing, right? Like if you're not there being bugged by them, how do you know you're managed? It could be something, let's go a little deeper. Maybe they feel very anxious and self-conscious about how that project is going and they know they had a role in it not going well. Try and think about, without overguessing, the motivation and the actual desired outcome when somebody asks you for something. 
Now, I, yeah, I, I realize this is somewhat fraught, but I think that's really useful. It's somebody that you, especially if it's somebody that you like, somebody that you respect, you know, I would say don't be afraid without being a jerk. Don't be afraid to do your own follow-up of making sure you understand what it is they're asking for or about. I found this very useful when I was a project manager where, you know, it's it's a common kind of geek or nerd thing to remind, to tell people that they're asking for something wrong. Well, actually, I can't install that because that model hasn't been available for five years. <laughs> well, no, they just want their computer to work. They don't, they don't want you to read a manual to them. Like, look at what they're really looking for. Look past their emotion. Look past their frustration. Look, look past your feelings of being angry that they keep bugging you about it and try to get, it, get to what it is, what brought them there, and then what will close that ex- existential bug successfully and gracefully. Do you know what I mean? I do. And, you know, you can still decide whether you're going to do anything about it. But, you know, if you get the sense that somebody in your family is just contacting you a lot because they miss you, consider approaching it from that angle. You know, maybe, I don't know if this is scalable and manageable, but maybe there's something something different from needing computer tips. Maybe there's something else uh, deeper there. If you can try to unpack why somebody in your life is contacting you in that way, I don't know. I think that's a chance to actually improve the relationship and to enrich your relationship with that person. It could also mean on a business or team level, it might mean that there should be something tweaked about how you work together. Maybe there, there should be a way for you to, you to expose your progress on something, something like a bug tracker, right? Somewhere sure. where somebody could go and see how you're doing on that. But then ultimately also, in the worst-ish case, if somebody keeps asking you to do something that you've repeatedly told them you won't and can't do, it's complicated. Like, how do you how do you tell them that? On some level, though, you have you have to have that conversation with them because they remember, look at it from their point of view. From their point of view, they're asking you for something that is not only completely reasonable, but it's completely overdue. Yeah, you both have emotional skin in the game at this point, and so how do you resolve that? Well, I would say you have to have a conversation about that. Hey, uh, I I uh, I've been getting this email from you a lot. Should we? have a talk about how this is going because I get the feeling you're kind of nervous about the progress of this and I want to make sure you're getting what you need. I'm doing what I need. You know what I mean? But like if you only ever respond to the surface level and your own immediate emotion, you won't solve a lot of problems. You've got to pause for a minute and maybe take a step or two back to look at what's actually happening, especially in this case with dealing with other people. And if you can't respond to every one of them, well, then you need to talk about the process a little bit. Does that that make sense? It does to me. So when, but in, I mean, you're talking about this with people that you do know, you're talking about this with people in, in the real world that you communicate with, not the total stranger who's abusing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I think that exists in lots of ways. As we may talk about in a minute, I think there's something like automation has a role in this. Cause I, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of email from my kid's school. Oh, um, like yeah. a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of email and a lot of notes and I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about that, but uh, I think we've talked about this before. I've talked about it elsewhere. You know, it, it would be a small part-time job just to keep up with processing that information and then making a decision about what to do with that information and then executing on that information. Like, just, let's just start with one thing. Let's say of, of the 16 emails you got from your kid's school this week, somewhere in there was... Like, for example, oh, by the way, this week, it's your class's duty to help the kids uh, get unloaded from cars at school. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody, you have to, like, share the load on that. But you've got to read all of that stuff to make sure you get to that. 
You got to you got to re- read through the creepy clown warnings. You got to read through the like why we changed the way the recycling bin works. You got to read through like here's what's happening with the fifth grade class that my kid's not in. But somewhere in there is all kinds of stuff that could be, as they say, actionable. And you've got to be the one that that teases that out. But you also have to adjust your expectations about how much you can actually do about it. Um, but you know you don't get mad at the school. I mean they're doing the best they can, right? I'm just looking right now while you're talking about this. I have between the two teachers that my kids have in the last two days, there's like five or six emails, everything, you know, updates and reminders. And then they use some, uh, some system when they post like pictures of the class, which they post every day. I Mm -hmm. mean, all of this stuff. And sometimes I would like to see that, but there's so much that it gets to the point where now, anytime I see an email from them, I'm just like, well, hopefully there's nothing important in there. Cause a lot of it's really repetitious. I mean, because it needs to be like our, our poor principal, like her millstone is one of her millstones is look really people. I need to say this every week. Don't park, don't line up and park on the street in this area. It is illegal and it is dangerous. And like, it's, it's, it's bad for the school. It makes us look bad, but it's also bad for your kids because kids yeah. getting out of the car in this thoroughfare, it's a really bad idea. Please stop doing that. And she's like the TSA person. No matter how many times she says that, there's still going to be somebody with a bottle of water, right? There's, that's still going to be something where like, even if she gets 98% of the school to stop doing that, there's still that same whatever percent, 2% of presumably, who's going to keep doing that no matter what. So, you know, you end up yelling at the whole class about something one kid is doing to use an analogy. But so I I know that's not, this is not what that person asked about, but I first want to just establish that this is not a problem that is unique to somebody who's receiving email from strangers about business. I think this is a big part of all kinds of uh, relationships where the, the tone, tenor, frequency, and expectations of communication are, are very rarely shared flawlessly without talking about it. You and I say this. Sometimes we text each other when we're doing stuff. A big thing blew up on Slack yesterday, right when I was in the middle of going out to, to dinner, and I, I didn't want to sit there and play with my phone at the table, so I had to just say, I'm at dinner, and I'll, I'll get this in an hour. Yeah. You know, sorry. Because they don't know. They don't have any way to know what I'm doing. Nobody no. knows what my day is like. No. But anyway, I just want to get that out of the way and then get into the, uh, the more arguably, I guess, arguably more difficult part. Want to talk about strangers? Yeah, stranger danger. Stranger in the Alps. Yeah. yeah. So, why do I say when people contact you about stuff, it could be a fundraiser, it could be a pitch. Like if you do anything even vaguely related to media, if you if you have a blog, if you have an anything, you're getting pitched about stuff. And that's the one that we're talking about here. But I want to clarify, I think it can still apply to lots of different business things. It could be somebody who got your name off a mailing list and sees you as one of the Glengarry leads with regard to their <laughs> op- their their um, uh, alternative to Salesforce that they would really love to demo for you. Could yeah. you set aside a morning for me to stop by? Uh. Um, but somebody may, let's maybe even say, let, let's, let's go all the way down here. Let's say it's somebody you don't know and somebody you feel like you don't need to know and somebody who's asking you for something that will take your time, your resources, your attention, however you want to look at it. Um, and I think, I think one thing that's complicated about that, at least in my experience is they're often asking you for one, two or three things. The first thing, well, they're at least asking you to look at what they sent. Right? right. I mean, let, let's, let's start at the most obvious level. Okay. Well, if 50 people a day are asking you to l- just look at something, do the math on that. 
I mean, that's 20 minutes of your day. Mm -hmm. If you looked at 50 things for even like, you know, something like 30 seconds. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's, it's, it's a little bit sobering that even the time that it takes to realize there's something here and process it on any level, even just to decide to archive it, that's, that takes a little bit of time. But then, number two, at the very, very least, they want you to respond. We'll come back to that. Third, and most importantly, there's usually something they want you to do. Like in our case, and I'm not just, I don't mean to make this about us, but it's something you all have heard on here. So if somebody contacts us and says, hey, huge fan of your show. I have this new author who has this e-book e about, uh, about eggonomics. It's all about the economics of eggs, and he seems like a good fit for your show. Well, they're asking us to read the email, respond to them, agree to have the person onto the show, and then do that thing. So it's not really just as simple as read my email. Because why? Well, how can you tell it's not that simple? Because they keep circling back and they keep following up. And even though you've seen their email, they're still not satisfied because you have not responded to their email, let alone agreed to do this totally obvious good thing that you should do. Do you, do you see the overfine distinction I'm making here? Yes. And that's what's funny, because if you're a weird, mean sociopath, high-functioning sociopath like me, um, in my head, I feel like if, if you're a stranger, I realize this is a very exotic, very high-level idea, but I feel like if you're a stranger and you contact me asking for something that utterly benefits you and utterly does not benefit me, in my weird head, not hearing from me should stand as a response. And then the response is no. Like, I don't have anything to say about that. I don't even have no to say about that. I have nothing to say about that. Mm. But that's not how they see it. They see it as you got to get the economics guy on your show. And so what do they do? They circle back. And so three to seven days later, you say, hey, it's Eugene again from the egg group. And uh, I just want to follow up on when you want to schedule the economics guy for your show because I think it would be a great fit. And then guess what happens? I don't respond to that. Oh my God. How can you let this go by? Now, again, you, you get one of those a year, like whatever. But I'm here to tell you that by the third, fourth, or fifth email from the follow-upper, in this case, a stranger asking for a thing, uh, it sometimes gets at least passive-aggressive and sometimes a little bit hostile, don't you think? Yes. I mean, they, do, do, you, get angry. do you say what you think? I mean, do, do you feel that? Don't no, you I feel do this feel sort that. of like, I do feel oh, that. hey, like, uh, I don't know if you're getting these. Yeah, that's, that's, so would you say that would be response number three? I don't know if you're getting these, but I've tried to email you already two, two to three other times uh, over the last week. I'm starting to get concerned that you're not replying. Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and they're really, I mean, yeah. I don't know if, if these are scripted things or if there's actual human beings pasting exactly. into an email or what it is. I don't think that the person is legitimately upset, but. I don't know. I just, I don't. It, says, it feels like a sales job. It really is. Yeah, it feels like a, a big time sales job. And even if the thing, if there was some chance that the thing that they were trying to show me was interesting, by now I'm out. You know, I don't, I don't want to see that anymore. But the other part of this that makes it a little bit emotional for me as somebody who's a natural contrarian is that they, as the person who instigated this contact and has made a, a tacit or explicit demand. They have also been the people who got to determine the frame for our relationship and the frame um, for our communications. And so when they when they dive bomb in to to my inbox in this super friendly way, 
looking to give me the benefit of a, of, of, of a new product to buy or looking to, you know what I mean? And it could be something, sometimes it's just super nice people who are like, hey, can I send you a test flight for this? Or, hey, here's a book I like, I'm not involved. That's a, that's a different kind of thing. That's a different kind of thing. In this case, it's somebody who's trying to, trying to present this as basically we're already good friends and you just don't know it yet. And here's a thing that's like a gift for you essentially. And like, and I know that sounds manic, but like within like a week, you're meant to feel like a very bad person because you're not holding up your end of the friendship by having the economics guy on the show. Right. And that getting one of those years, someone you don't even know, someone you don't even know asking you to do something. I mean, as they used to say, it's so wrong. It's not even right. I can't imagine why would I take this? You know, this is something Syracuse talks about where there's certain kinds of folks that he wouldn't even want to have an argument with because there are so many basic precepts about the universe that they disagree on that they wouldn't even have anything to argue about. Like if you want to argue with somebody about, you know, climate change not existing because gravity is a myth, like where do you begin? Also vaccines, like wh- where do you begin with that? And that's kind of how I feel. We're like, it's, should it be my role? Like if, if, if I had a staff of people who signed eight by tens and sent them to people, I'd say, well, that's, that's fine. But no, I'm, I'm the, I'm the person who gets all that email and, and deals with that. It's not an onerous burden, but it is one more thing. It's one more pebble, as I like to say, to deal with. And it does gall me a little bit when somebody tries to make that a personal thing and then try to make me feel bad about that, that, that gets my dander up personally. Yeah. So then we get to the, we get to the, uh, as you say, the functional component, which is how do you deal with that? How should you deal with that? And I, I'm open to discussion on this, but I think one of the, one of the basic problems, what did I write here? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I just a note, you won't end monsoons even if you yell at each raindrop. That's what it feels like to me. Because when, if you go in and take people to task one at a time and tell them what an awful time-wasting person you are, well, now, you know, you're kind of stuck in their honeypot. And they're going to, they're going to, these are people who are being persuasive, presumably for a living. You're trying to make a case as a stranger and they're maybe taking that from a different direction. But right. is that, you know, is that, as they say, is that the hill that you want to die on? How much time do you want to spend trying to correct the behavior of strangers in a way that mostly has no impact on you? And maybe most saliently, does that help you be more of the person that you would like to be? Because when I let my better angels take a coffee break, I can be a real dick with people just because I've kind of had it and I want to have a little fun. I'm not above having fun with people. I've written some very funny responses to people that were deliberately da-da and confusing. And they probably just entered it into the CMS. Oh, this guy thinks he's funny. Contact again in three days. Mm -hmm. So... What do you think when you get, you must get a lot of stuff that has to be processed before it's even, it has to be like read before it's even processed and decided what to do about it. What's your feeling on that? Cause you seem like you get, you get frustrated about this too. Oh, I, I probably get more frustrated than you from the sound of it. It sounds like you're still in a rational state of mind about it. And I've just kind of gotten into that point now where there's so much of it that I, I kind of just. I kind of just glaze over about it. I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm ne- I'm never going to be able to figure out what's important in here. And now if it's not a person's name that I recognize that I'm related to or have close friendship with, I just can't, I just, I save it. I usually probably on like Thursday morning, I'll go through email and I'll just try to work through it now. But it, it went from being like really manageable. Like I had everything really pretty well under hand 
to now it just piles up until like for about a week and then I just get to it. And it's right. it's become so overwhelming now. All of these and my mom even messaged me. She's like, I'm getting all these new it's this is like a new that's what I said at the beginning, it's like a new batch of spam that's been happening. I don't know how to make it stop and because it is personal and conversational and because it does have these little techniques that that you kind of have to read it to figure out what's exactly going on i feel like it's harder for the junk filters to catch it's it's harder for other people not to sort of steal your time away yeah and this is this is yes i totally agree and this is a good juncture to introduce why you should care about this because Let's say um, you're getting a fair amount of this stuff. Maybe you, <clears throat> for whatever reason, it could be customer service stuff. I don't know, what, whatever. But there's enough of this stuff coming in that I think it starts to have an effect on how you feel and how you look at things. Now, like if you, nobody, I don't think, would spend a giant amount of time in their spam folder. Like most of us, I think, <laughs> there, there are services like your service. There's other services I use where stuff ends up in the spam box just because email is a very weird system and the algorithms are odd. Yeah. I will occasionally go into spam, especially if I think I missed an invite or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, let me state the obvious. I spend a deliberately spend a surpassingly small amount of time in my spam box mm-hmm. for, for reasons I'm happy to illuminate. There is a very, very good chance very little of what is in my spam box is something useful that I need to know about. Increasingly, there's a pretty good chance that some of it is actually dangerous. That There's stuff in there with weird attachments. There's spear phishing attempts in there. There's all kinds of stuff in here. Well, geez, Merlin, what a dingling. Of course you wouldn't spend all that time in your spam inbox. That's what the spam inbox is for. And I would say, you know what? That's absolutely correct. But the problem is, if you're getting enough stuff coming in that isn't quite spam, it makes you, makes you a little bit twitchy. Because you're getting more and more stuff that makes you, well, you feel yourself tensing up and you got to go deal with the email. And I think it can make you a little bit negative. It can make you a little bit cynical. And so tell me if this happens to you. Twice, three times a week, we get an email from a really nice listener of this show. And I go into it like, because I'm pretty sure it's going to be more of that nonsense. And it's not. It's a bit like today. We got a very nice note from somebody suggesting a book. But like at first, and he even, you could tell he's a listener to the show because he said, he's I worried. have no connection. Yeah. yeah he's, like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's ordering uh, Mulligatani from the soup Nazi. He's like, just so you know, I'm not the author. I don't know anything about the author. I'm not asking to be on the show. It's become right. a running bit. Right. But, and then I feel like, ah, oh, I'm like, oh man, do, is that who I want to be? Do I want to be the person who goes into reading emails that way? And yet I feel like in, in a certain way, I'm vulnerable and I have to protect myself by going in with that attitude. And that doesn't make me happy. And so, especially if I'm thinking like, wow, I wonder how many of these I can screenshot and make fun of on the internet. Like, okay, let's take two giant steps back and ask like, wow, what is what is this in the service of? You know what I mean? It's so frustrating though. And so here's now, we know why we should care. I mean, really though, what can we do? What can we do about it? Other than just now say, okay, now part of my life is just going to be spending time reading through this kind of email. What can we do about it? I have, my solution to this is um, simple but not easy. And it, it really, um, it boils down to a change of mind, a change of heart about how you're going to deal with this stuff. Um, and I mean, we're, gosh, we're not even getting into, we're not even 
going to touch the third rail of like abusive emails or abusive tweets or any of that stuff. That's a whole other topic. I'm talking here about like garden variety dumb stuff. Um, I, in some ways, I feel like my existing methodology for this uh, is relatively healthy even if it doesn't seem that way to the people who are emailing me, which is that as quickly as I can make, and sometimes I can make this decision very quickly just based on the subject line, but I will, like I'll go in, let's say I'm on Gmail for the web. I see my inbox, I start at the top, I click and I see it. And if it is very obvious to me that it's that kind of email that you and I make fun of, mm -hmm. uh, I hit left bracket and left bracket is magic. Left bracket marks that email as read moves it to the archive and brings up the next message. And that takes less than a second. Okay. That's okay. So we'll have more on this in a second, but that lets me go through and process all of my email. I like to read every email, maybe not every letter of it, but I go in and see like, what kind of thing is this? And then let, let's say the next one is a nice note from somebody and I'll frequently respond and say, thank you. That's a great idea. Or as you see, like I'll, I don't always CC you on this cause I don't want to make noise for you, but right, it'll frequently sure. be like, Hey, that's a great idea for a topic. We'll talk about that this week or something like that. Um, left bracket. Marks it as read, archives it, moves to the next message. It does three things with one keystroke, right? So like if you're in your inbox, you can select a message and hit command I. That marks it as read. You can hit command. You can, I'm sorry, not, not command, just I. Hit, um, so I marks it as maybe capital I. I don't know. My muscles know. Title. Um, uh, <laughs> capital I marks it as read. E archives it. But left bracket, dude, when you're inside the email, left bracket. And left bracket does all three of those things and moves you to the next one. Now, what's the key part I'm not talking about? Uh, stupid can't stick to me. I'm not going to get wound up in this. So, you know, that probably makes me seem like a jerk to the person who wants the Eggman to be on our show, goo 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 jube. I hit left bracket, go to the next one. So what happens? Then a few days later, I get contacted again. Left bracket. <laughs> at what point do I feel like I need, sometimes I'm going to use this word. Sometimes I feel provoked. I sometimes feel like this person is now so effing pissed off yeah. that I have not responded to them. I don't know if that's a CMS. I don't know if that's some kind of machine learning Dell. Right. I don't know how that message is generated, but they seem emotional. They seem angry. They're frustrated. They're hurt that we have not gotten back to them about that. So left bracket. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, there's this, I know that sounds very, very simple, but the, the, the simple part is hitting left bracket. The less simple part is making your peace with how you're going to deal with this stuff and then deciding how it's allowed to change how you feel. And I mean, I think that's, that is very much one part of it. Something I heard many, many years ago that I'm sure many of you have heard at least I think this definitely pretty definitely used to be true even up to the mid 2000s. I'm guessing up until today, you know, just so you know, a lot of the email you get from people is not from a person. It's from some kind of, let's call it a bot. That bot has a whole bunch of email addresses that either knows specifically our email addresses for people, or it is generating those through something like a dictionary, you know, word yeah, island thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and when you write back and you say, you know, I've registered Oh, with the Federal Trade Commission to not receive this type of communication, please, please decline future missives and ensure that I'm added to your comprehensive list. <laughs> and when they when they get that, what happens is a little bell goes off because now they know two things about you, at least. 
<laughs> they know, well, let's say three things. They now know that uh, you have an email address. They know that that email address works. And you know what they know now? They know that you respond to things. Yeah. And then I'm going to just maybe guess that there's at least a couple things out there where that gets you put onto the special list of the people who can be provoked. And that's one reason I've stopped doing it is because I don't want to be a jerk with people. I don't, you know, I, I sometimes am on the fence a little bit if somebody seems very earnest about it. But there's a continuum. Like over here is like your oldest friend in the world who wants to give you a car. And here on the other end is a bot who hates you. And somewhere in between is a lot of stuff that might include strangers who want you to take a gig where there's not money or if it's a company that you don't want, you're kind of like, oh, I'll just snooze this till tomorrow. I don't want right, to deal right, with right. that. I'll snooze that to 1020, 1020, everything pops up. It's like, oh, hi, me again. Swipe 1020. All the stuff that I didn't do yesterday pops up. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's one approach is, is that it really comes down to getting your mind right and deciding whatever it is that's going to be okay with you and deciding if there's going to be a budget for dealing with that stuff. This gets into some very old back to work issues, but if you want to be a good person, here's one good way to do it. Set aside time. I used to do this on Thursdays, in my email Thursdays or meeting Thursdays. Set aside a certain amount of time when you go through recent email just to do nice things for people. You can get karma offset credits for this. You can go in and go respond to stuff that you weren't going to respond to if it is nice people. And I think that's a nice karma offset credit. But I, I'm not sure how much I'm willing to cede my time, my emotional state, and my just general state of mind, how much I'm willing to cede that to potentially a world full of spam bots and marketing people. I feel like we shouldn't have to give any time to them. You know, it's it's like you said, the, the, the junk mail that we get in our home, it's pretty easy to tell when it's junk mail. And even if it's not opening it, glancing, you can tell really, really quickly. But spam is getting harder and harder. And I think that's that's the frustrating part is because it's mixed in with, with just like real junk mail. It's mixed in with important stuff. It's mixed in with stuff that you would like to, or need to or would like to spend time on. Yep. It's a diamond in the compost bin. Yeah. I know. I know. It's serious. Um, you got a compost bin. We, this is an old analogy, but this really works for me. And your compost bin should be like food church. Like nothing should ever be in the compost bin that you don't plan to eat soon. Not the compost bin. What am I saying? In the in the crisper, like in your refrigerator. Yeah. What I'm trying to say poorly is don't let your don't let your crisper become a compost bin. But don't put you know don't put stuff in there that's just going to turn brown because you kind of go dead to it. But like, what's worst of all? Like, imagine I don't know if your kid has a retainer. Like, you're not sure where the retainer is. Like, the retainer could be anywhere, and you really don't want to pay to replace the retainer. That seems like such a waste of money for something we should be able to deal with. But like. Uh, luckily this, this resolved just fine, but we did have a couple nights where we couldn't find the retainer and there's a little bit of a dark night of the soul. My kid's actually great about this, but she'd set it down somewhere. It slid into a place and she did some real Sherlock Holmes stuff to find it. But if you can't find the retainer, you'll start looking everywhere. You will, you will stick your hands into the compost, into the recycling, into the garbage, any, anywhere you imagine. If there is potentially something that you want, there is potentially something valuable. It doesn't matter how gross the context for finding that is. You will do it if you want it enough. And at the point when you're having to sort through your email and the flyers to wonder if there's anything inside all of these ads, that's a dispiriting feeling. Yeah. But I think you kind of have to just, I don't know, just pull up your britches and just be willing to deal with that sometimes. But I, I don't know. I mean, I wish that there was some unicorns and rainbows way to make my peace with these people 
or bots who do this. I don't, I am not sure how to do that. I'm not sure how to improve it. I'm not sure how to ameliorate it. And I'm definitely not sure how to make it stop. And this is why I say it's like trying to stop a monsoon by yelling at raindrops. Yeah. Like you could yell at every single raindrop, but it's still going to hit your face. There's still going to be a monsoon. And even when the monsoon goes away, rain's going to come when it comes. And like discovering the things in your life that are like that and being able to leave them behind with as little emotional residue as possible is a total baller move. It's good. Instant classic. Yeah. Kind of like one of the old ones, you know? I love it. Mm-hmm. We still hear from Richard A. Sometimes I know he's still around, kicking. Still seems kicking. like he's doing pretty well. Still kicking. Still kicking. I think Guy he's like, like that, six, you, you don't eat all at once. All at once. No, he's uh, he's got to be like sixteen, seventeen now. <laughs> Finally through puberty. It took. So this is a long. very long episode. Very long episode. But uh, one thing I will mention. Uh, I don't know if this is fixedy McFixed fixed yet, but I mentioned before this is related. Um, that app Hiya H I Y A for the iPhone. Yeah. Did you ever get that? Yeah, I got you that. Know of it. Yeah. You did get it. Yeah. Is it working for you? I, I have, because of course, as soon as I get it, uh, I stopped getting the calls, but. <laughs> that happened to me too. I haven't gotten one since like last <laughs> but Wednesday. I haven't even had a chance to block anybody. I get four a day and then I'm suddenly like, Ooh, come on. Somebody waste my time. I want to see if this works. There you go. Spam as a service. There should be a way that you can telemarket your own phone to find out if something works. Nice. But I'm here to tell you, uh, I just got the. 10 point, I want to say 10.1 beta three. Okay. The public beta. Um, and I did the rain dance. So if you haven't followed this, there's an app called Haya. There's, there's several like this. These are apps that utilize the phone kit API to help uh, identify and potentially block calls, nuisance calls, like known nuisance calls. It works against this large database of like reported spam and nuisance and scam calls. And, and the way it works on, on the big board is that once you have this thing installed, you should start seeing, like when a call comes in, it'll be identified. And they'll say, hey, this is, you know, this is a timeshare scam or something like that. Um, and you, you have the ability to go in and copy a phone number, paste it in. Have you tried that yet? No, I have not tried that. You can do that. But here's, there's a couple problems. Problem number one is, I think it is officially a known issue that there's something up with the call kit API on iPhone where it is not able to block calls right now. Something's wrong for now on Apple's end with how that works. So I don't think, I mean, if, if it does work, it's a fluke. Uh, a vast number of people, including me have had varying results where like, for example, I install high up, um, and then nothing shows up in the phone app. It should say scam call identified, like, you know, like, like where it would say the caller ID. Right. It should say, you're like, oh, this looks like this person from thus and such, but that wasn't working at all. I kept deleting and reinstalling, delete, reinstall. And just for fun last night when I got this new update, I know I'm going to jinx myself by saying this. I did delete and reinstall Haya. And as of five minutes ago, it appears to be working. Here's Very my tip. Cool. My tip from the horse's mouth, from Haya's mouth is, I don't know if this is a bug, a feature, or just a note, but it appears that you can only, forgive me if this is wrong, tell me if I'm wrong. It appears that, <laughs> so weird, you can only have one phone kit using app on your iPhone. That if you have two on there, even if you haven't like turned them, it might not work at all. And so I discovered I had another app on there called, what's it called, Send Caller or something like that. 
deleting it didn't fix it, but in this update, it is fixed. Start watching in this space because I think it's going to be an interesting place to watch. But um, yeah, so for that that particular nuisance, it might be working. Well, page two. Page two. You doing okay? I'm doing good. I talked a lot in this one. I like it. I like when you talk. I like when you get a topic. I like all. Do you of like it. it when I prepare? Do you like when I prepare? Yeah, I guess. Hmm. I guess you like pan. You like Pandoc? Yeah, I like Pandoc. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, future topics. We still need to talk about when you have the chance to get your fire fire detector yeah. fixed. You're going to get your hue lights going, yes. and we'll talk about that. We are also going to talk about notebooks and journaling. Ah, Thank you one. to listener Tim. Tim Weston, Tim Weston, last name withheld. <laughs> Thank you for suggesting we talk about notebooks again. I think that's going to be coming in the next uh, week or two, oh, but yeah. that's what we got on the uh, docket right now. Very good. Still good about this? I feel great. Let's, let's okay, get let's, it out there. Yeah, let's button this up. I All love right. you. Love you too, Merlin, man.